This is the You, Me, and a Movie podcast with your host. <laughs> can, you do, can you do it? <laughs> the whole thing? Yeah, do it. Do it. This is the You, Me, and a Movie podcast with your host, Anna Malone, and... Oh, Will Malone. I, yeah. I expected you to say my name first because that's kind of how we do things around yes. here. But, <laughs> but okay, I guess to each his own. Um, that was a good try. Good try, sport. You wonder why I don't do these things. Well, you just need to do it with more confidence, more bravado. Oh, my gosh. Just get in there. You, you should hear my intros for Out of Focus. It's like crazy. Like, I just sometimes just scream into the mic. The whole podcast is sometime an intro. <laughs> <laughs> so you listen. <laughs> so you're a listener, huh? <laughs> um, okay, so this podcast is going to be a little different. Um, we're not really going to talk about what we've been watching because we're going to do another episode next week when we talk about Hobbs and Shaw. But in a way, it is what we've been watching because for the past day and a half now, we've been watching basically only Tarantino films. Yes, that's true. Because uh, we do want to talk about Chernobyl because we've been watching the that. The show. The show, not the, the event. HBO show. Yeah. And, but we're going to save that for next week because Anna's not going to want to spend the whole episode talking about Hobbs and Shaw. Or she will. Who knows? I, she may just, it may be a hate fest for her. Or she may be a convert to the Fast and Furious genre. It won't be me converting to that. You sure? I think. You know, you know, there's always, you never want to say never, but um, I just kind of don't see that in the cards. You're not into week. The Rock? Like, do you think The Rock is attractive? I don't know. He's kind of like, wow. I feel like he's always been around, you know? That didn't answer he, the question at all. He just—he seems too old for me to think that. And you're like, refer just, to the report. Like, like I don't even know. Like, it, you're like, you know, he's been around a long time. Like, what does that even? Well, he just kind of looks like, looks like this ageless person who has never been young or old. And I just, I don't know. But he's like too goofy in movies for me a lot of the time. Again, you're just dancing around the question. Anyway, um, I, I it's a yes, simple yes or no. No, not really, I guess. Then. Uh, okay, okay, great. Is that like how you gauge men, like how long they've been around? <laughs> no, but I mean, I don't like him in any of these movies, so that that's hard for me to think of that. That's for, hard for me to think of him that way because... What about Jason Statham? Has he been around for too long for you? Really? I haven't seen that much that he's been in. Really? Yeah. Not a big Statham guy. No, he's fine. Yeah. But I just feel like neither of them are like great actors. Which favorite Statham movie? I have no idea. You have no idea? Transporter? No. no. I've never seen that. You ever see Crank? Nope. No? Crank, no. High, crank High Voltage? Crank 2? Crank 2 High Voltage? Yeah, I saw Crank 2 High Voltage, um, but I haven't <laughs> seen the first one. <laughs> that actually is how I saw Crank 2 High Voltage before I saw the first Crank. Okay, I feel like we're... Literally, you need... Literally, like, it's such an insane experience. I don't know how we got off on that, but... Tarantino. Tarantino. So we're not doing what we've been watching. I don't really want to talk about box office stuff. Basically, all you need to know about box office is that Tarantino, as predicted, movie, doing terrible. But had great reviews. Has really great reviews. Lion King, dominating, because audiences are terrible. But most people I know who have asked how it is, they're kind of like, I didn't like it, but I don't really know why I didn't like it. But it just felt weird. That's I know, I know like why the, they didn't like it, because they're soulless and artless, and they're useless. You're talking about Lion King, not our friends, by the no, way. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I'm talking about... <laughs> I'm talking about... Because they're soulless and heartless. <laughs> I'm like, whoa. And useless. And <laughs> no, I'm talking about these live-action Disney movies, which I feel like I've hated on every episode we've had. So. You have, and I'm going to have to let it slide, because... I don't know how you couldn't like the Beauty and the Beast one. What? No. I, I know how I can't because it's a bad movie. Okay, we're okay, not talking we'll, about this okay. again. Okay, we'll have an episode where once Lion King and Aladdin are out to watch, like to rent. Rage Fest. We'll watch those and then we can talk about it like as a whole a little bit more. Yeah, we may squeeze that. Yeah, September's looking pretty light, so maybe we squeeze that into September. You think those will already be out by September? Yeah. Okay. Aladdin came out in May. Endgame comes out in two days. Yeah, but people, the people want Endgame out. No, but that's that's how that works. Like, okay, well, anyway. Anyway. Oh, and Endgame beat Avatar is as the number one movie worldwide. That's the other biggest box office news, which, you know, cool. At first I was like, oh, man, that's really awesome. And then I was like, wait, but Disney owns Avatar too. So it's like Disney just beat Disney. And then Disney's probably going to beat Disney again one day. So anyway, so we have talked so much about typical summer blockbusters on this podcast. We did, uh, what was our first movie? Toy Story. We did Toy Story. We did Spider Man. 
We've only done two so far? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, we've only done two. Now, I think you had another episode you put on with Kelsey, but... Oh, we threw the Avengers megacast on there. So, yeah, we've only talked about, like, huge movies. So, this time we're going to talk about Tarantino as a whole, leading into our review of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So, and as usual, we will kind of section off the spoiler section. So, we'll let you know when we're about to spoil it. But first, I want to talk about Tarantino. So, um, and then we're going we're gonna, to gonna end with a Tarantino ranking of each of ours, just of our favorites. So Tarantino, the man, Tarantino, the filmmaker, is a, a genre unto himself at this point. You, like, Ann and I were trying to figure out earlier, like, like, what genre would you say that he hangs out in? Or even, like, we started trying to list movies off and talking about, like, what genre is that? And the only thing that I could figure out was... Tarantino, the genre. That, and that the majority of his movies, while they're all pretty different, they all have like a kind of dark comedy thing going on in all of them. Yes, yeah. Um, Because, I mean, there's always, they're all pretty rough. Like, there are always some kind of like there's a throw light, down. There's a lighthearted aspect to all of them. There's There's, there's funniness in every single one of them. But it's always amongst horrifying events. Yeah, it's always like I'm trying to think of things that like would have happened. Cone Brothers, kind of like Cone Brothers, does that kind of stuff. Yeah. Except Tarantino does it, I think, way more. Usually than Usually a little gorier too. Yeah, it's very stylized. But the cool thing about Tarantino is he's kind of sectioned off the types of movies he makes. So, like for one, like Pulp Fiction, that's like the world we live in. Okay, it's a movie about people in the world, right? And then Kill Bill is like a movie that those people in Pulp Fiction would be watching. So he's kind of like creating like a movie universe within a movie universe with some of his more stylized stuff. And then, so like Django and Hateful Eight is like his historical stuff. So it's like, there could be an argument made that he kind of created a pseudo like cinematic universe in a way, you know, just because he's, he's kind of hung out in the same realm of reality you know well he also does the thing that Wes Anderson does where he picks similar or like the same actors yeah to be in like all of his movies not every time but most of the time there's somebody who's been in another Tarantino movie or at least like Samuel Samuel Jackson Jackson. (laughs) he is in like every single one trying to think he's in Pulp Fiction he's in Jackie Brown he's in Hateful Hateful Eight Eight. he's in Django Django. is He he He's not in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. No. He's that's it, right? I guess because he's not in Glorious Bastards. I don't think he's in Kill Bill either. What about uh, Reservoir Dogs? No. Okay. No. Yeah. So, anyways, he's got his character. He's got like Harvey Keitel is in Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction, and Brad Pitt's in a couple. Leonardo DiCaprio's yeah. in a couple. Yeah. Yeah. So he like has his guys. Um, Uma Thurman. Uma She's Thurman's daughter be... now. Yeah. Um, which we can talk about that a little bit later, but um, yeah. So it's uh, yeah. He's got his like his crew of people that he likes to use, and he has really like you can kind of watch his evolution in movies as he becomes he cares less about the audience that watches them in the sense that he makes like further down the line you can tell he's making more of the movies he wants to make without taking into account audience's feelings and i say that because like django for instance is if you're not a tarantino person you can probably jump into django and it'll be like some parts of it will be pretty surprising and crazy and whatever gory gory. so bloody but it's more blockbustery in that like it's this like tale it's like an epic yeah it's a tale with a wide scope and it's like got action violence comedy like it's just it's kind of a cool movie in and a way it feels like a you know a lot of his movies are in kind of one little town or even if it's not a little town it's kind of like a small area of it yeah and you feel like you see the same places a lot it's like a vignette in Django, you know you're they're traveling they're seeing different places like they're they're moving their way across you know it's not so much one area where things are going on. Yeah, that is interesting. Like, if you think about how he does his movies, it's like usually he picks, like, a plot of land and he, like, like kind of focuses in on that. Like, in Jackie Brown, for instance, place is almost irrelevant. Like, you don't even see that she flies to Mexico and back. No, you, you just know she does. Yeah, you just know she does. And 
I think a lot of that usually has to do with budget, you know, like Pulp Fiction's kind of that way. Um, Reservoir Dogs is definitely that way because it basically only takes place in like a warehouse and like the street between the warehouse and the diner that it starts in. And I would say that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood does that. Yeah. There are a few locations in it. But for the majority yeah. of it, it's kind of like and the hateful same eight. area. Hateful, hateful eight's like in one building. It's in one house, and then outside <laughs> in the snow for a second. Yeah, and uh, Kill Bill's a little less that way, but Kill Bill's like its own. It is its own thing. Yeah, I, I want to rewatch it. It's been a while since I've seen him, but I do. I really like Kill Bill. Um, but yeah, it's like I said, like he made Kill Bill as if he was making like a unrealistic version of his movies like he made that movie to be like an ridiculous like an exaggeration of his style which i thought was a cool thing to do especially making two of them like you would you know a movie you know so um anyway so you know let's just kind of go through real quick then and let's just do a ranking now before we start talking yeah i think ranking before might be easier because we can talk a little bit about why let's go back and forth so let's 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 start from the bottom least favorites yeah and we'll get to the top and uh yeah so you go what's yours so i'm gonna lump kill bill one and two together as my least favorites wow i just I don't know. It's it's something like I just don't enjoy that kind of over dramatic in that in the sense that they're over dramatic. Yeah. Just didn't do it for me. I think too, I wanna stipulate on this that none of the I like I like all of these movies. So I don't wanna say like one is bad and the top ones are good. Like I think they're all good. These are just how I would choose to watch them. Like I would choose to watch the top of this list before I chose to watch the bottom of the list, but I like all of them. So I would say one that I hesitate to put this at the bottom, but it's because for some reason it just never hit me the same way and I need to rewatch it due to this because it's been a long time since I've seen it. But Inglorious Bastards, um, I just, I don't know, it just never quite got me, but I've been itching to watch it again. It's been years. That's my other, that's my next on the list of ones that, but I think it's just because I've seen it one time. Quite a bit of it is in subtitles. I just don't think that I watched it paying attention as much as I should have, maybe. Yeah. Because, I mean, I couldn't tell you really what I dislike about it. My my next one is Reservoir Dogs, just because I've seen it so many times. And, yeah, I mean, I love that movie, but I've seen it, like, probably more than I've seen any of the other Tarantino movies. Because it was always on Netflix, so I would always just, when I didn't know what to watch, I would just watch Reservoir Dogs. Okay, Reservoir Dogs is also my next one. But it's book again because I just don't feel like I know as much about it. I haven't. I've only seen that one one time. Oh, interesting. Um, and it just wasn't one that I felt like I wanted to watch over and over and over again. So yeah, then my next ones are the Kill Bills, but Kill Bill is below Kill Bill Volume Two. Kill Bill Volume Two I like more than the first Kill Bill a lot. I mean, just the ending is just it's pretty good, and it kind of leads you to think that there's gonna be a third one, but I doubt. I doubt there's gonna be a third one. Um. All right, what's next? So mine, is, next one is Jackie Brown. I really liked it. And I think this is like my kind of change from like ones that I'm not so sure about, you know, mm-hmm. more so. So we, I just saw this one for the first time yesterday. Mm-hmm. I'd heard about this movie, ne- couldn't not have told you what the, even the gist of the plot was before. But I really liked it. Um, it feels a lot like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Like yeah. it, it feels... I, I don't know. It just feels similar. And we can talk about that more when we actually get to... Yeah, my next one is Django. Just because the movie's a lot. Um, <clears throat> I wouldn't say it's easy to watch just for fun all the time. Like, it's pretty, like, intense and deals with some pretty heavy things. And that's one of the few movies where language actually, like, ugh. Like, just the, the language in the movie is, like, kind of out of control. That kind of, like... I don't know. It, it just kind of like that movie kind of eats at you throughout the whole movie just because it's just a super intense movie. So I I don't just think like, yeah, let me just throw Django on. You know, it's like if I'm going to watch Django, that's going to be like, um, I, it's because I want to like experience it. Um, Okay. Yeah. You're next. Next one's Hateful Eight. I really like it, but I only want to watch it in the winter. Yeah. No, it's a good like winter it just, movie. It doesn't feel like something I'd watch right now. Big pot of beef stew. July right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um 
And it's very, it's pretty long, especially now they've had that like extended cut on Netflix. Yeah, it's like over three hours. Yeah. It's got, I think it's 20 minutes of extra footage they added to it. I think yeah. I saw. Um, but I do really like that one. I yeah. just, again. The thing I like about Hateful Eight is that like, I remember it was being advertised and it's like, and Channing Tatum's in it. And you forget two and a half hours in the movie that Channing Tatum's even in the movie because he's only at the end. True. And so, well, like, you re- yeah, you know, it was weird how they acted like he was going to be some big character in it. And he, I know that it was he probably, was. A big well, character. I just mean like constantly in it. Yeah, yeah. It's funny how Tarantino movies all shift right at the end. Mm-hmm. Like right at the end is when they totally change. Like everything that you have come to know will be ripped away from you. Um. So then, my next one is probably Jackie Brown. Um. And that's just because I don't know. I mean, I like Jackie Brown. Uh, it's just uh, now we're we're into the ones that uh, like I would turn on any day of the week. So, and Jackie Brown's top four, so it's pretty good. Pulp Fiction's my next one. Same, same. But and Pulp Fiction I used to be my top one. It's I still think that Pulp Fiction is somewhat overrated as a movie. Mm. I know. Mm. I, I know uh, the, the the random love that I feel like people have for it. It's always kind of like I want to be like, but why? I think most people who say they love Pulp Fiction love it because they feel like they're supposed to love it. So I I could see what you mean. I I understand what you mean from that aspect, but it truly is like it's like all the character, mo- just everything about it is just so good. Um, it's it's just one of those it's one of those movies I could watch all the time. And because of how it's made, like watching it in pieces, it's just you get to see these vignettes of people. And so, like, you can watch it just in bits and pieces and still enjoy it. Uh, my next one, uh, number two, Hateful Eight. I love that movie. I love Kurt Russell. I love just watching everybody just, like, sit and argue and talk to each other and eat beef stew and just, yeah, it's just, I don't know. I, I, I never get tired of that movie. It's pretty violent. I would say it has more language in it than Django does. Yeah, but the but it's it's a different context. Like Django, I don't know. Django's pretty. I don't. I don't. I don't even want to. Yeah, I mean, Hateful Eight. I don't know. I just like just. It's like a stage play. I guess that's true. Um, and then yeah. My number two is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And my number one is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. My number one is Django. That doesn't surprise me at all. I know. Uh, Anna loves Django. That's her favorite one. That's actually the first one you ever watched. It was. I saw it in theaters. I had no idea what to expect because really, I before I met you, there were a couple actors that I would know. I mean, not actors, directors I would know when it was a movie that they directed, like Tim Burton or something like that. Guillermo del Toro. Yeah. yeah. But other than that, like, I didn't think about a movie as far as, maybe Wes Anderson I didn't think about a movie as far as who's directing it, whether or not I want to go see it. So when you said we need to go see Django, I was like, sure. I mean, I had never seen a Tarantino movie, so it wasn't like, and that was probably a good one to start. Yeah, I, I, I think it was. Yeah, I think, I think as intense of a movie as it is, it's still a better one to start on than if you had started me watching like Reservoir Dogs. And that's. That's kind of what I wanted to get to with Tarantino is that watching Once Upon a Time in Hollywood feels like almost the same thing as watching like Avengers Endgame, the 22nd Marvel movie, in a sense that not that it's part of some larger narrative, but in the sense that if you don't understand the why of Tarantino or just you haven't experienced him in the past, like you are not going to understand big swaths of why he did things in this movie. I think that you could have, if you had never seen Tarantino and didn't know how what he kind of is about, I could see people thinking that this movie drug in spots. Yes. Um, and, you know, I was talking to you yesterday. Me and my mom had this conversation the other day. She was telling me about this, um, this satire true crime podcast she's listening to, and she thinks it's so funny. And... She, you know, you can't recommend it to people who've never listened to a true crime podcast because you don't understand the style or you haven't just been exposed to that kind of stuff. So, well, when satire in general, you have to know what correct. the real thing is. Yeah, yeah. So you get you get rewarded for being informed. You get rewarded for for like taking part in all this and consuming all this stuff. So, for once upon a time in Hollywood, 
and honestly, Hateful Eight, too, I would say, you get rewarded for being a Tarantino fan. Because they have Easter eggs. Like, he he does Easter eggs of his own films in there. There was Jackie Brown Easter eggs in there. There was all kinds of different stuff that referenced his past movies, and then little flourishes he puts in his movies. And all that stuff would be totally lost on you if this was your first Tarantino movie. Yeah, I mean, I think there are still some people out there that will enjoy it, even if they haven't. But Sure, sure, but it's not a good... I don't think it's a good jumping uh, yeah, jumping into Tarantino. I think if you're going to jump into Tarantino... Reservoir Dogs is good. Um, Pulp Fiction's pretty good. Um, and then Django is good. Um, I mean, I would say pretty much all of his movies are pretty good to jump into, except for probably his last two. Hateful Eight and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood are like his latest movies where he clearly does not give a crap about who's watching it because he's like, they know who I am already. And so... Hateful Eight and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood have so far looks like are probably going to be his lowest box office performing movies because they're not as accessible because he's just making what he wants to make. Django was way more accessible and I think his most popular movie at the box office. And that's for a lot of reasons. There was, you know, there was there's a lot of accessible parts of that movie. Um, Hateful Eight is not an accessible film like at all. Like, I would never tell like my parents or anybody, hey, sit down and watch Hateful Eight. They no one make it through that movie because you yeah. just like it to watch people talk the whole time and get people like. There's that woman who they just like abuse over, like they just like knock her out. You yeah. know what I mean? Like yeah. she's like the person they have with them. Yeah, and 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 that's the thing too. It's like if you're predisposed to go see, I don't know, a live action Lion King in the movie theater, you're probably not gonna enjoy. Yeah, Once upon a time in Hollywood. Overall, because yeah. I mean, I love Beauty and the Beast live action. I also like this movie. You're not normal though. Okay, I'll give you that. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, if you okay, fine. If you went to see Lion King live action opening weekend because you were excited about it, you're probably not going to like this movie. That's uh, I, that Venn diagram. I think is maybe, but I wouldn't say that's a hundred percent always going to be the case. No, it's not, but I'm just I'm making generalizations. Okay. Just just let me do this. Okay. I'm I'm just insulting people who like the live action Disney movies. I know. That's what I'm doing. I know. Okay. So just let me. Um including you cuz you like one of the worst ones. Okay, well, you haven't really seen very many of them, so can we really say that I like one of the worst ones? So okay. Well, no it is. I've seen all that I need to see. I've seen Jungle Book and Beauty and the Beast. Anyway, it was uh, better than Jungle Book. That's they're equally bad in my mind um so uh let's just kind of so once upon a time in hollywood let's just without spoiling it kind of like what were what were your thoughts about it kind of like just give me give me on the tarantino meter like like how i don't know this is bad it's a bad thing totally not prepared at all because yeah you want to spoil things Yes, that's true. So I'm going to say we're going to have to either choose to s- go ahead and get into the spoiler part. Well, so you made it number two. Yeah. Why did you make it number two? Um, One, I really thought Brad Pitt was hilarious in it. I thought he did a great job, yeah. which I, feel I, don't, like- I don't know. I'm not one that just goes to see a movie because Brad Pitt's in it. I'm not. That actually sometimes, depending on the movie, deters me a little bit. <laughs> Um, but this one, he did a really great job, actually surprisingly good because I thought from the trailers, it made me think that Leonardo DiCaprio was the main character and then Brad Pitt would be like there sometimes because in the, in the trailer, he is his stuntman, which I mean is true in the movie, but I thought, you know, he'd be a little bit more in the background, but I would argue that the two of them are the main characters and you see them almost the exact same amount of time each. Yeah, uh, I was I was actually surprised at how much Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt we got in this movie, and this is probably this is probably now maybe right up there with Fight Club to me, like my favorite Brad Pitt movie. Um, well, Oceans are pretty good too, the Oceans movies, but yeah. But is it him that makes the movie? No, or is it just th- that's the thing you have to think about the fact that it's like you like. There's a lot of Brad Pitt in yeah. this movie. And, yeah, no, and, there is, and it's like cool Brad Pitt it's like the Brad Pitt you want the like really calm just like being himself yeah yeah and like eating things 
generally like eating horrible food like true like drinking like carnation condensed milk or whatever he was drinking in yeah that. he's always like got something yeah like he he licks dog food at one point he eats craft mac and cheese like that's like all the hits but he's also like extremely fit and jacked in it and like so it's like it's just funny like that's just his thing i guess yeah i guess so and had excellent hair you know um leonardo dicaprio is like really doing great work here as like the insecure actor yeah no it was really funny it's yeah it's like i would say I think one of my favorite parts of Django is Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, yeah. No, like his over-the-top. Over-the-top villain. Yeah. Like when he breaks the glass in his hand and it was and an it accident. And it was not planned. And he and just he, keeps going. Yeah, because I remember the very first time I saw that movie and it had not come out that that happened and that happened accidentally. His bleeding. And I was like, what did I miss? Why is his hand all bloody? And why is that relevant to the scene? Oh, wait, it's not relevant to the scene. That was an accident they left in the movie. Yeah, and I feel like Tarantino is really good about letting his actors do their thing. Yeah. Like he picks actors that are good and they also are good at a specific type of character that he kind of lets them create the vibe. Like I there's so much in Tarantino movies that I'm like I sometimes wonder I'm like did he write that or did that he just mm-hmm. let them kind of go for it? Cuz it seems like how you think this person is in real life. Cuz I feel like I remember them saying like, you know, Samuel L. Jackson's like speech in Pulp Fiction before he kills that guy where mm-hmm. he like he like quotes the Bible or whatever. Yeah. Like, I'm pretty sure that was improved by Samuel L. Jackson. Wow. And uh, and it's just like that kind of stuff. I feel like you're just like go crazy, you know. OK, I'm ready to get into the spoilers because it's going to be too hard for me not to spoil. OK, fine. Spoiler alarm. Do it. You're the spoiler alarm. Alarm, alarm, alarm. No, no, no. You got to do... I don't remember what I did last time. <sighs> okay, fine. <It's, laughs> we just have a consistent alarm sound every time. Okay, well, uh, it'll be that from now on. <laughs> <laughs> Watch next week. You'll be like, I don't remember what it was. <laughs> um, so, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is about the Manson family murders in Hollywood. Uh, however, it... Well, let's... T- okay, so start at the beginning let's start at the beginning so it's about the manson family murders that's how it is advertised kind of it's not really even advertised that it's about it, that it wants it, it almost feels like though it's like it wanted you to assume it it wants you to assume it like the entire movie it uh, it rewards you for being in the know about tarantino again it's like if you're the kind of person who goes on the internet and sees oh tarantino is making a movie about the manson family murders that's the kind of person it's talking to with this movie because there's no indication really in the marketing that that's what it's about. It's talking to people like us that heard that Tarantino is making this kind of movie and we're pumped about it. Again, it's like another level of inaccessibility to new people. Right, because it says things like Sharon Tate's in it, Charles Manson's in it, and you just assume... Okay, this must be, you know, the but he's also never done a movie that's I guess, like, but it doesn't even it doesn't even tell you like who that is until you're like halfway through the movie. What do you mean who who is? Like what I'm saying is like you kind of don't really know who these characters are unless you've already like been in the know about Tarantino. Like when you start this movie, you you don't know who these people are. Like it doesn't tell you like up front like that's Charles Manson and that's uh Sharon Tate. Like well, no, but... Don't you find out it's Sharon Tate, like, when she goes to the movie theater? Um, or, that's a good question, but i No, I'm, you find out about, um, what's his name, the director. The, Roman Polanski. Yeah, you find out about Roman Polanski. So I think you're led to assume that's Sharon Tate, but, but, like, it doesn't tell you straight up that's Sharon Tate. Right, but if you've done any research before the movie at all, that's what which I'm is saying. what I'm going to do. Right, but that's what I'm saying is like Tarantino fans do that. I'm saying normal people... Oh, if you just wander into a movie, okay, Yeah, maybe. but you'd be shocked how many people do that. That's what I'm saying. It's like if you walked into this theater, you'd be so lost. Man, I can't imagine going to a movie and just being like, hey, there's this movie, and I don't know. Oh, I can't. it's unimaginable to, <laughs> to me, but like I, I know a lot of people that do that. They just show up to the movies and just pick something. And it's like I just I don't, that is interesting. That's a different. And I don't want to pay that typically much. Typically, it's sure older generations, mm-hmm. but um, yeah. So I'm all I'm all I'm making the case for is that they did not like really advertise that that's that's kind of what the movie was about. 
Okay. Well, anyway. Me, going into <sighs> it, thought, okay, this must be somehow about the murders, you know, of Sharon Tate and her, the people that were with her house. Yeah, because like Roman Polanski, and so then you assume. But then, it's like, you start, so... Leonardo DiCaprio is the neighbor of Sharon Tate in this movie. Yeah. Recent neighbor. So he's been there, and she is new to the area. Rick Dalton. Rick Dalton, yes. Who is a, a fictional person. Well, Brad Pitt plays Cliff Booth, who is his stuntman. Yeah. He does not live at that house, but he's there all the time because he, he basically does whatever Leonardo He's like DiCaprio. his manservant. Yes, he's yeah. like his manservant. I'm assuming he gets paid, but... He like lives in a he lives trailer, in like a little RV, like a little yeah, with his dog a Brandy, yeah, with his pit bull Brandy, um, and you just kind of see them as the main characters. So then you're kind of like see her kind of like in the distance, and you know, not literally in the distance, but they show her in ways that you're kind of like, how is this going to connect to them? Other than the fact that they are neighbors, yeah, you feel like you feel like that. You know they're they're you're trying to figure out how they're leading us down this. Path. She's very much a side character. Like Sharon Tate just shows up sometimes. Like yeah, it's like oh look at her. She's going to see herself in a movie. And okay, which also I liked the fact that they showed real footage of the actual movie. So that wasn't really yeah. They show footage Margot from Robbie the movie The Wrecking Crew with real Sharon. Yeah, Tate so yeah. like you you can tell that it's not really Margot Robbie playing Sharon Tate in that movie. Yeah, which I liked. I liked that because it's what an old movie would have really looked. Well, it was an old movie that she's watching. Um, and I liked that. Yeah, but you don't, you just see little, little scenes with her. She barely talks throughout the whole movie. You just, she's kind of like, you, you kind of don't know how this is going to lead to that because the whole movie, the whole movie is focused on Rick Dalton, Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt. Like just, it is like there's, there's almost, no really other significant plot points other than theirs and you know that they're neighbors with Sharon Tate so you're like how is this all going to tie together yeah because they're focusing so much on Leonardo DiCaprio's um acting career like yeah kind of starts out with him talking to um um Al Pacino yeah I mean he's not really Al Pacino in the movie I can't remember what his name is but he um is basically telling Leonardo DiCaprio you know you're kind of not going to be the leading man anymore. You've been playing a lot of like the villains and stuff. Um, you know, maybe we could get you into Italian movies. And like that point, Leonardo DiCaprio, like it kind of like he takes a hit. It kicks off the the like rest of his right. arc in the movie. And so it's kind of like all of a sudden he's like, I'm going downhill. I'm going downhill. And he kind of like that kind of makes him spiral a little bit. So then a lot of the movie is watching him perform in his the movies or the shows that he's doing which i thought was interesting because i wasn't expecting that i mean they will show an entire scene yeah I where love you that. feel like you actually know what's happening in this movie within a movie he's like in these old western shows that like are like we've clearly all seen like the, these like like bounty law on nbc yeah. and like not in the 60s you know and it just looks horribly cheesy and so it's just, yeah, they'll show him filming a whole scene with, like, you know, y you'll have, like, Timothy Oliphant show up as, like, a guy he's acting with, or Rick Perry, which was, um, Rick Perry. No, that's, no, he's the uh, Secretary of Energy. Luke, Luke Perry. <laughs> Rick Perry. Um, that would be a twist. Yeah, that would be a twist if Rick Perry was in this movie. Um, no, Luke Perry showed up, which was kind of sad, because, you know. I know. I, I guess it's the last thing he was probably in. Yeah, I didn't see that coming. I, I didn't, didn't either. I didn't know he was in it. Yeah, I didn't either. Um, and I didn't then, know Al Pacino was in it, though, either. Yeah, I mean, they, they've got, like, wall-to-wall -wall celebrities in this thing. Um, and so, like, you see, like, the movie basically takes place over three days. Like, the first day in February, where, like, you know, he's struggling with acting. A second day in February, and then it's got a gap of six months and then August when the murders actually happen, which I thought was like, it felt even after seeing this movie felt a little arbitrary. I would say the only reason it told the story like that was because Brad Pitt picks up one of these like Manson family hippie hitchhikers back to their like 
where they live at that abandoned um, ranch where they used to film movies, the Spawn Cowboy Ranch or whatever it's called. Yeah, which and so like there you see like through like throughout the movie like all these hippies like hitchhiking and they keep like focusing on them and and Brad Pitt and this one hippie like keep running into each other and so he picks her up and takes her back to her place and is like at this weird hippie farm. Yeah, it's like I mean it, it is what it is like. It, it's exactly where the Manson family lived. Like I looked well, it up it's later. Well, it wasn't really a um, place they made movies. Yeah, no, they used to it make was? movies there. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was just an abandoned ranch. No, it's like Old Tucson. Like, that's okay. what it was. It's like Old Tucson, which Ann and I went to Old Tucson last year. It's like this basically built as a set for all these old Western shows. And so Brad Pitt's character used to be a stuntman working at that place. Mm-hmm. So he's like, yeah, I know exactly where that is. I'll just take you all the way there. So he takes her there, and he meets all these, like, weird hippies and and Charles Manson's not there. You only get to see Charles Manson for like a second Once. when he st- happens to stop by uh, uh, Sharon, Sharon Tate. Tate's house. Yeah, which I thought might might be another reason they did the jump was because that could have actually. I mean, I don't know for sure, but that could have been true to the story to where he went to go see. He thought it was somebody else's house. Yes, yeah. somebody that had turned him down from a, a record, which I looked up. Terry, oh, whoever that is, yeah. he had been turned down as far as with him in the past. So he was actually going to look for that guy that day. Oh. Um, but I don't know if he really went and asked if that guy still lived there or not. That's the curious thing is I- I'm wondering if he really thought that guy lived there in reality. Well, because the, the hippies later, they're like, uh, Charlie told us to kill everybody in Terry's house. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, it's like almost like he thought he was lying or something. Yeah, like he's like, I don't really believe it, and but just if, in case. If you're a Justified fan, Dewey Crow from Justified played Charles Manson. And For then, literally two seconds where he yeah. says, you know, I'm here to see Terry, and then they're like, Terry didn't live here. You don't see his face very much either. Like, they cover up his face, weirdly. Well, because I think they don't want people to go because they're like, oh, I'm going to see a movie about Charles Manson. That's not what this is really about. But in the trailer, they show him. Yeah, for the two seconds he's in it. You about see as much of the trailer as you do in the movie. Yeah, that's true. Um, so I would say the biggest Manson-related scene you get is when Brad Pitt's at that ranch. The ranch, and they're just kind of all there like talking this, about, like, oh, Charlie would love you and things. But he wasn't there right. at the time. Yeah. So it, it's it's very interesting. Like, this movie subverts expectations in two ways. First, the first time it does it is when Brad Pitt goes to this ranch. And he meets, like, all the Manson family hippies. And he, like, knows the guy who used to own the ranch, George Spawn. It's called, like, the Spawn Cowboy Ranch or something like that. And so he's like, hey, does George still live here? And they're like, yeah, he lives here. And he's like, is that his house? They're like, yeah. He's like, can I go see him? And they're like, uh, he's napping. So you, um, But it sounds, like, so fake. They're like, um, he's napping? This and he, and he he's naps. blind? And he's blind? Well, they don't say that then. They do at one point before he goes in there. Yeah, no, yeah. That, that the girl does, who's Dakota Fanning, who barely looks like Dakota Fanning in this movie. They make it really shifty, so you assume, as somebody who watches movies, like, oh, they killed this guy. Oh, they killed this guy, or he was never there, and like there's somebody waiting to kill him when he walks into the room. And she and the the woman who, who lives in the house, she says basically, like, uh, yeah, he takes a nap because I don't want him to fall asleep when we watch FBI at night. Or something, some weird excuse. Yeah, like excuse. when we watch shows together at night, he falls asleep. It's like, um, okay. So then he goes to see him, and like the guy says that exact thing. Like, yeah, she napping. makes me take a nap because I, we watch that, and she gets mad if I fall asleep. And he's blind. Yeah, and, and he really is blind. So it's just, it was like, okay, well, that was kind of a weird twist. It was like all these hippies are telling the total truth. Like, there was just something like you imagine he's going to find like this body of like hit this guy that used to own the ranch. But And it's, you can tell yeah. he's thinking that too, because when he shakes him awake and the guy finally wakes up, he's like, oh, thank goodness. I thought you were dead. Yeah. Yeah. So there you're kind of like, oh, that was kind of like weird and subverty. But then basically, like, I don't want to go through the whole movie, but basically there... The end of the movie, which I'll talk about my biggest problem with this movie at the end, but it's not about the murder of Sharon Tate. Like, they, he changed the ending, kind of like in Glorious Bastards when they kill Hitler. They changed the ending. So, it's like, what if he, they did not go to Sharon Tate's house They went house to Rick first. Dalton's house They instead. went to Rick Dalton's house where Brad Pitt basically kills them all. Yeah. And yeah. then they kind of move on. 
Yeah, so Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio are drunk at, Bra- at Leonardo DiCaprio's house. And Brad Pitt has just smoked a cigarette dipped in acid. Dipped in acid. And so these guys break into the house and they're like, they want to kill all these actors or whatever. And Brad Pitt sticks his dog on him. And it's like this crazy, brutal, violent scene. But not nearly as gory as usual. No, so but I will say that, but it was brutal. It was so brutal and also funny. And it like would dip in between like hilarious and like really horrible and hilarious and really horrible. And then so like basically like basically this movie ends and like nothing bad happens. Yeah, it's kind of like. The three hippies that went to kill yeah. Sharon Tate, well, everyone at Terry's house, I'll say that, first. But then they get mad because basically Leonardo DiCaprio hears their car outside. And he's like, y'all need to get away. You know, you hippies yeah. get out of here. They leave and they're like, wait, we should kill them instead kind of thing. Yes. At first. So I think they would probably have moved on to killing Sharon Tate and her group if they had made it yeah. through that. But this basically says, like, what if Sharon Tate never got killed? Yeah. And... You know, Roman Polanski also wasn't there. I, I I had a question as to like, okay, so in this universe where these hi- these hippies like you know got killed and like nobody got hurt, other than the hippies, um, like is Roman Polanski still get arrested for like you know raping like a thirteen year old? I don't know. I don't who, know. Who knows? But uh, anyway, so it's it's revisionist history but the whole movie is leading you down this path because it knows what you think this movie is well because you're like okay here they come and it's like a little bit of like a horror feel feel to it you're on edge the whole movie because you know what's coming but it's a long movie oh yeah back to what we said maya hawk ethan hawk uma thurman she's one of the hippies but she's one of the hippies but she ends up leaving and not killing them yeah she was like nah i'm out of here yeah like but yeah, and then afterwards, yeah, afterwards we watched Pulp Fiction, and uh, it blew us away at how we reminded how much Uma Thurman and Maya Hawk are like clones. Very similar, yeah, it's, yeah. It's especially crazy. with the way they talk. The way they talk, and yeah, it's it's crazy. Um, but so the thing I love about this movie is be, it's it's number one, it's not now. I want to watch it a second time because now I watch it knowing it's not a Manson family murder story and i'm not waiting for that yeah i'm not waiting for that it's literally a vignette of this actor this insecure actor and his stuntman and sharon tate's like a neighbor of theirs yeah that you see every because i will say like they show her like seven months pregnant and i was like they're gonna kill a seven month pregnant woman right like on screen right now i was really dreading that i know i was too and i was like this is gonna be really really terrible especially because i thought honestly when they were killing or trying to kill rick dalton and uh, Cliff Booth and then Rick Dalton's wife. I thought they're gonna they're gonna do this scene and then they're gonna go up there. Like I really thought for a little bit, like okay, we've got more brutalness we're gonna yeah. have to see. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the uh, just it ends how you want it to end. Like, yeah. Well, it ended and I was like, oh, okay. You're like relieved. You're like, yeah. Oh, you're like a goodness. little bit like, okay, they live. <laughs> yeah. So. It's only Tarantino can make this movie because every other filmmaker I've ever seen, when they tell a, a movie of a historical event, there's always this kind of respect for it. Tarantino's like, well, what if that didn't happen? Like, what if Hitler got killed, you know, before, you know, like, what if Sharon Tate didn't get murdered? Like, it, it's, and it's something that no one else really does. And, but he doesn't do it in a way that makes sense to anyone who's watched movies. He does it his way, and it's his way or the highway. And this movie's a prime example of that because even the way it's written, even the way the narrative's constructed is kind of like, if you are not a Tarantino fan, you don't understand why this scene was just dropped right into this part. Like, there are scenes just thrown in. Like, it's almost like he had the timeline on a wall and he just threw scenes at random parts on the timeline. Like, if you're a movie person, you can kind of keep track with it, but even still. You want to be paying attention, for sure. And there's still stuff in there that, like, I interpreted a totally different way than Anna interpreted. It's true. 
Like there, there's, and I don't want to spell out all the scenes because that gets boring. Because to hear he also it. like realized that once he heard how I was saying, it, he was like, uh, "Wow, you are so right. You are so <laughs> much smarter." Is what he said, but he didn't really want to tell everybody. On yeah, well, that didn't happen. So, uh, yeah, can't neither. But he can was kind of like, I will say, he was like, "Oh, I hadn't thought about it that way. That makes sense." And it did, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it did. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so it's not historically accurate. It's told totally the opposite way that it actually goes. My biggest w- issue with it was that Kurt Russell has a very small part in this movie. He's he's a character in the movie, but he's also like a narrator. But he's only a narrator sometimes, and I feel like he was kind of a crutch at the end. So they like all of a sudden when you get close to the end, when you expect the murder to happen... Kurt Russell narrates what's happening, like, next. This person goes here, and this person goes here, and this and person goes why, here. Well, but and that's why, well... Well, I was just saying, like, I think that it kind of starts trying to scramble at the end to get you somewhere, and the whole rest of the movie took its time, and then at the end it just started getting, all right, let's let's finish this yeah. up kind of thing. But, and I don't, I don't know if I liked the narration just because it didn't stick with it the whole time. Um, that's, that's my biggest issue is like, because this movie did not stick with the narration every time it happened, it was jarring. It was kind of like, all right, come on. Like, I didn't hate it, but it made me think more that it was going to be true to reality because all of a sudden when you've got a narrator, you're like, and he's telling you times things happened. I was like, Oh yeah. But I, what I'm saying is like, I wish that he had narrated more. Because with the title being Once Upon a Time, mm-hmm. you think it's a story being yeah. told to you. So it would make sense if he narrated everything that was happening in the movie. That would actually yeah. make more sense than what we got, which is like you heard the narrator voice for like a second, like 30 minutes in, and then you don't hear him narrate again until the last like well, 20 okay. minutes. Well, okay, how much in Big Lebowski, I know this is not a Tarantino movie, how much narration is in that so sam elliott narrates the big lebowski beginning and the end Mm -hmm. that's it like it's it it there's a structure to how he does it and it makes sense like he intros the movie tells you like about this man you know he's not he's like he's just a man and then you see like him like drinking half and half in the grocery store and then he 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 shows up as an actual character in the movie that talks to the dude for like a second and then at the end of the movie, then he closes it out. So it's like, it's not jarring at all. But, like, it was like they brought in Kurt Russell to explain things that they just couldn't figure out how to write it. And so, which is, which is the most un-Tarantino thing to me because it just seemed kind of clunky. Yeah. I'd like, I'd still like to see it again. No, I I definitely want to see this again. This is my favorite Tarantino, Tarantino movie, hands down, because of, um, it was beautiful to watch. Like I just loved all the color, the 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 like old Hollywood was really cool. The the cinematography, like the POV shots of people driving, I thought was great. Like I just ate every bit of it up. Did not feel like a two two hours and forty minute movie to me personally. Like I didn't feel the length of this movie because I was just in. But um, it suffers from things that just don't seem typical to Tarantino to me, which is mainly that narrator thing. Um, mainly that's, that's it because it just seems like, eh, let's just have Kurt Russell come in and tell us this part. So, and with it being once upon a time, that made me think after the after, title's bad. The title's bad. I don't know though, because it made me think that maybe he chose that title because he was changing the truth. So if he makes it once upon a time in Hollywood, this is fiction. You know, this is not the reality that you were thinking it's going to be. Yeah, that's interesting. It's, uh, one those, it's one of those other things that I, like I said earlier, you know, where he's like, oh. No, I mean, <laughs> I, I think that's interesting. <laughs> I still think, like, I mean, I don't, I'm not going to come up with, like, something that the title should be. But I, I just, I think that t- title is a little blah. You know, like, I kind of think, all right, like, it doesn't, it's just a little, there, there, yeah, the title mixed with the narration seems kind of like, eh, really? Like, you couldn't have just, like, you couldn't have just, like, 
wrote that out just like a little longer, like a couple more days of like a couple more, like another draft and you'd have all that stuff worked out to me. But I mean, that's nitpicky stuff because I loved it. And also when Kurt Russell talks, you're just like, you get happy because Kurt Russell is like, <laughs> um, you know, I mean, again, Brad Pitt to me, like this movie was Brad Pitt. Like, I feel like I haven't seen Brad Pitt just like do that since, I don't know, like fight club, maybe like, yeah, he is, he's gone to Tyler Durden in this. Like he is a little, he is a little like the audience surrogate a little bit. Like he's kind of us. Yeah. Like he's kind of thinking what we're thinking and yeah. Living in a reality that Leonardo DiCaprio's character does not live in. No. Yeah. He lives in reality. Leonardo DiCaprio is like worried about all these things that Brad Pitt's just like not, you know, like it's, and it's also too like Brad Pitt, like, you look at him and you see he he's like a failure of a person and he just like works for this guy that just kind of like has him like do chores around his house drives and stuff. him everywhere because Leonardo DiCaprio isn't allowed to drive you know yeah. like yeah he just kind of does whatever but he's okay with it he doesn't seem like not content yeah I mean it is it is a weird relationship and you just you kind of like I could I could watch a whole other movie about their relationship. Yeah, I know. They're fun together. They did a really good job together specifically. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And so it's just, I don't know. It's just one of those movies that the setting and the characters are so interesting that it doesn't matter what happens at the end. Like it quit mattering that this was a, a movie about the Manson family murders. Like it yeah. quit. Like there was a point where I was kind of like, I almost forgot that's what it was about. And I like that because I was just so into it. I was just, I was totally into what was going on. Um, and I haven't, I mean, the last, honestly, I had that in Hateful Eight where it's like, I didn't care where this was going to go. I was just like enjoying the setting, the characters like yelling at each other, the kind of clue-ness about it. You know, it was kind of like clue a little bit. Um, and just that one, like when you can, create characters that are that interesting and write dialogue that you just are sucked into like that's perfection like I, I don't know how I don't like that's hard to do and Tarantino's gotten really really good about it um, I know I'm glad that he's still making another movie yeah and he's but he's like he's at this point like is he even interested in making a movie like Django ever again you know probably not and that's okay no I love that it just, like, we don't get movies like this anymore, you know? Like, we don't get movies, like, another Big Lebowski-esque movie that you would go see in the theater. No one would go see that. No one goes to see a movie. We talked about this last episode, but, like, no one goes to see a movie that isn't, like, a guaranteed thing. Yeah. Like, the majority of people who saw Avengers or live-action Disney what or they whatever were else themselves into, would not, for the most part. yeah, but would not be going to see this movie. And we just, like, the audience, I don't think, is there for that. And so it's sad that the this movie isn't going to probably make that much money. Um, but it, I think it could one day, you know, like, be a cult classic kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I guess. I don't know if cult classics even exist anymore. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's going to be up there with Tarantino's. It's going to be pretty high on his uh, list. I mean, he's, I would say, for, for a guy that has made you know, officially like nine movies that are like written and directed by him. The fact that he hasn't had a bad one is pretty amazing. I was thinking about that yesterday. I was like, he hasn't, he hasn't had a bad movie at all, you know? And, uh, hold on. You're going to hear a big click from Will taking a picture behind the scenes podcasting. Of our dog. Tired of us talking. Sorry, our dog just like, he put his head on the table and he's just like staring at he's me. He's like, okay. Ready for this day. Wrap it up. Well, we're about 54 minutes in. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I don't, don't you think it's amazing that he like hasn't had a bad movie? Like. Yeah, but he's also not like. The Coen brothers have had bad movies. But have they made more? What do you mean? Have they made more movies? Yes, but yeah, for sure. I think, yeah. 
but it's just it's pretty amazing like you can tell like he he purposely puts like a three to four year gap between his movies and like make sure he puts the time in so part of the reason i hesitate to nitpick about the narration stuff is because i know that he thinks every move of every move he makes in all of his movies have a reason and so yeah. that's why I hesitate to even nitpick like, it. He probably had a reason why he did this. Yeah. Also, I, one more thing I want to add: the feet thing is like out of yes, control he, now. I didn't even know that was a thing, and then we started watching him, and I'm like, yes, he really fixates on feet. He has a foot fetish, and that's pretty well known. You know, if you Google Tarantino foot fetish, this is pretty well known that he is really into women's feet, and it's he's highlights women's feet in all of his movies. This one was like. Like feet, wall to wall feet, man. Women's feet everywhere, and like dirty feet, and like there yeah, was. Yeah, I was like, st- okay, I guess we're just like gonna it, have some it, dirty feet. It was a little like I was distracted by it just because I know that about him. So I was like, God, please let this scene stop. Like, there's one scene where the hippie puts her, her one of the hippies puts her bare feet on a windshield, and I'm like, no, stop that. <laughs> you know, it's just painful. But um, but yeah, no, I love this movie. I like, I, I think. When, at the end of the year, when we come out with our movie top 10 list, which we're going to do, this is going to be on that list for sure. May even be number one as of now. But there, we still got a lot of movies left to watch this year that are going to be I really know. good. I know. It Chapter 2 is going to be up there for me, I think. Joker. That's true. That looks good. Um, man. Knives. Knives Out. Yes. Zombieland 2. Yeah, I don't think that's going to be on one of my tops. <laughs> uh, <laughs> number one movie of the year. What else is coming out in October? Was, was, oh, Star Wars is coming out in December, mm-hmm. um, which ugh, we'll see about that. Um, yeah, Knives Out looks he hates really on good. The new ones. I like the new ones. But. I no, I I just in retrospect, like I don't like Last Jedi as much as I remember liking it. It's just just so everyone knows, anyway. Will Malone does that. He will come out of a movie and be like, "That's pretty good." Week later. That was the worst movie I've ever seen in my life. That was trash. And I'm like, no, but took the, a turn. But The Force Awakens, I didn't like as much when I saw it, and I like it more now. Like That's, that's a new thing for you. That movie aged better <laughs> than Last Jedi did for me. But anyway. So, I think that's it. Uh, stay tuned next week for Hobbs and Shaw, Anna's most anticipated movie this year. Just can't wait. Counting down the minutes. Oh, uh, and I also, I meant to talk about this earlier, but they, they made, this is kind of end talk now, so you can shut it off if you're done listening, but they announced all of Marvel's like Phase 4 stuff, and uh, so next May we're getting Black Widow, we're getting all of Marvel, which I'm not really interested in at all, and I talked about that on the Megacast, that I'm kind of, who cares, but it takes place between Civil War and Infinity War, which... I'm like, this movie should have come out three years ago then, in that case. Yeah. Um, but uh, also, uh, they announced all the TV shows like Loki and Falcon and Winter Soldier and WandaVision, and they're basically saying, like, these movies tie in, or these TV shows tie into their movies so much so that, like, the WandaVision show about... Scar- so weird. Yeah, it's WandaVision. Dumb. They're all bad titles. Uh, Falcon Winter Soldier, WandaVision, bad titles. Um, the is is connecting like it will usher in Doctor Strange two the multiverse of madness which is going to be their first horror movie. I'm interested. And Scarlet Witch is going to be working alongside Doctor Strange. So that's cool. And then they announced a new Thor with Taika Waititi, Thor: Love and Thunder, which sounds really awesome. Um, and Natalie Portman's back in it. And then uh, they announced uh, The Eternals, which has Angelina Jolie and Paperboy and uh, Kumail Nanjiani and like a bunch of people in it, which sounds interesting. Um, and then they announced Blade, a new Blade with uh, Mahar- Mahershala. Mahershala Ali. I always have trouble saying that. I'm always like, Mahala Sasa. Yep. Mahershala Ali is going to be Blade. Um, so... Really cool, um, really exciting. I'm glad they're kind of focusing on tiny movies now. Like, I feel like we're getting a break from Marvel, it looks like. Like, we're not going to get huge Avengers explosion anytime soon. So that's that should be pretty pretty exciting. Um, anyway, so anything you want to say before we leave? Mm, I don't think so. I'm really exhausted after this podcast. Maybe because we already tried it once and Anna, you know. 
I may it. or may not have knocked over my mic stand. Yeah. That was like two minutes in. It wasn't like, if, it, if we'd been like 30 minutes in, maybe, but. Yeah. I think, too, we talked about this so much yesterday. Yeah. Like, just on our own. We did. We repeated a lot because we, we, I almost wanted to be like, stop talking to me about it. Let's save it for the podcast. But, like, we couldn't help it. Like, I, that's all I've thought about is this movie. Like, I, I would totally go back to the theater and watch this movie again. Um, so, if you're a Tarantino, Tarantino fan, go see it. Uh, if you are not a Tarantino fan, watch some others first. Watch some Tarantino movies, then go see it. There are plenty on Netflix and Amazon Prime to watch. That's true. That's true. All and right. Probably Redbox right now. Yeah, I guarantee there's some at Redbox too. So if you're in a more rural part of the country, so <laughs> like us, <laughs> like us, like we are. All right. You can follow me as always at Will Malone on Instagram. And uh, check out the Out of Focus podcast where I talk to creative people uh, about what they do in their process. And I released a new episode this week, uh, and it's really good. I talked to the writer and director of a short film uh, called Indocumentata, and uh, it was really, really interesting. He talked about his process and the process of writing it and kind of what it was meant to be and what he was thinking when we made it. Very interesting stuff. Pretty good companion to a movie podcast, I think, if you're interested in that kind of stuff. So... Go check it out, Out of Focus, on your favorite podcast app. So we will see you next week for Hobbs and Shaw.